As you're taking your seat, go ahead and open your Bibles to the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 11. Uh, We're jumping into the final chapters of Ecclesiastes, and this morning we're going to be finishing up uh, this book in both chapters 11 and 12. We'll march through it together, and hopefully we'll see the preacher of Ecclesiastes tie of this book up for us in a beautiful and neat way. And as you're kind of getting situated and preparing your heart for, for that this morning, let me ask you this question, um, are you living? Um, not, not are you alive. I'm not talking about whether or not you have a pulse. If you're here this morning, I'm assuming that that is true. Um, if not, we'll call somebody quickly. But uh, the question you need to ask yourself if you have a pulse, if you are alive, is this, are you really living Are you living the way you're supposed to be living? Or are are you somehow living um, a facade of a life, a superficial life, a meaningless kind of life? That's what the preacher wants to engage our hearts with one more time this morning. Are you actually living life? Are you experiencing this life, engaging with this life, enjoying this life? Are you living this life the way you're supposed to? And if you're not, then this is a massive wake-up call for you this morning. This life is meant to be lived. And this book, although it seems at times to be dreary and sad and sobering and somber, The intent of the author of Ecclesiastes has not been one of despair and discouragement, but one of actually finding joy, finding purpose, finding meaning, finding life. Are you really living life or is life passing you by? Are you existing this morning in such a way that you are actually, maybe without even realizing it, choking out life? Are you consumed this morning with worry, with anxiety, with fear, consumed by circumstances? Are you distracted or disinterested in living a life that is pleasing to God? Have you forgotten the call to seize the day? Seize the day right here, right now. Forget seize the day, seize the moment to live, to live now, to live fully, to live right, to live truly. The call of the preacher for us this morning is simply that, will you come and live? His whole objective throughout this entire book has been to confront the way that we have been living, to confront what we often call living, what we often call life, and to challenge us to think deeply about where we find purpose and meaning and significance and joy and ultimately life. He's tested it all, he's tried it all, he's sifted it all, and he's landing us in this place where he is showing us, listen, what truly matters, what life is all about. Everything else he says is vanity. It's all vanity unless you get this one thing. There's so many of us, maybe even here this morning, who have a pulse but are not truly living. So the question that he forces us to ask is this, how can we truly live? It's been the question that's been on his mind throughout the entirety of the book. And though we have tackled these issues and even tackled the answer to this throughout this whole book, 
he, as he has written this book, waits to the very end to really drive this point home with force. And I want to drive this point home with one kind of forceful statement that will pull apart into to four different parts. Here's the statement that I want to be the overarching statement of this morning that I believe in one sense sums up the overarching point of this book. He calls us to live, to live, listen, by faith, with joy, on purpose, for God. That's it. It's so simple, it's so clean, and it's so clear, and yet it is so hard. And so he pulls us back once more to see how this is possible. How can we truly live this way? So let's pull that apart together. First, let's just recognize this again. He calls us first to live by faith, to live by faith. In verses one through six, let's read it together. Here's how he frames this for us. With some beautiful imagery, he says this, Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way the spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning, sow your seed, and at evening, withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. The call here is so simple. He says basically this, listen, we need to learn if we're going to live, we cannot live without faith. Faith is essential to truly living a life that we are created to live. And part of the way he helps us see this is by reminding us that life is often so unpredictable. So much of what we see around us in this world is out of our control. It's outside of the scope of our control. And he reminds us this by repeating this phrase in the first six verses. I don't know if you caught this. He says it like this, you do not know. Multiple times he highlights this phrase, which tells us that this is part of the point of what he's trying to communicate. There are certain things in this life you simply do not know and you cannot know and you will not know. So how will you live in light of that? Life is filled with unpredictable elements. The problem is that many of us, because of the unpredictability of life, we begin to operate not out of faith, but instead out of fear. We see so much that's outside of our control, and so what we do is we we fear that, and we begin to try to manage that and control that, or we're crippled by that. Many of us live, listen, lives that are filled with fear and worry and anxiety. Some of you sitting in here, even though you know God and you love God, you are crippled by fear. Your life is riddled with anxiety and worry. You can't escape it. You feel like you are trapped by it. It consumes your life. And so much of that fear is unfounded fear. It's fear of what you cannot ultimately control. Winston Churchill, the great British prime minister during the Second World War, um, said this in his book, Their Finest Hour. Listen, in the context of the Second World War, when Germany was looking like they may conquer the world, 
He said this, when I look back on all these worries, think about the worries, that the pressure that he was under, all of the fear of what may be, of what may happen. He said, when I look back on all these worries that are surrounding me, I remember the story of the old man who sat on his deathbed and said that he had had a lot of trouble in his life, most of which had never happened. So much, listen, so much of our energy is spent on this. It's wasted on this. We're worn down, we're tired, we're filled with fear about things that will never happen or may never happen. We're losing sleep because of something that's happened to us in our past. We're paralyzed, listen, by the thought of something that may happen to us in the future, which leaves us unable to live a healthy present. Afraid to move forward, afraid to take risks, afraid to seize the day, afraid to live our life. And the antidote to fear, notice this here, is faith. It is faith. Verse 1 gives us this imagery in a really kind of potent way. He talks about casting our bread upon the waters, our provisions, our sustenance, the things we have that we believe we need to live, the things that so often we cling to. He says, throw them out upon the waters. And essentially what he says is, see what comes back to you. You think you're going to throw it out there and it's all going to be lost because you're so afraid of what may happen, but see what ends up floating back to you. That's the imagery here. Give a portion, he says, to seven or even to eight. Well, that's generosity. He says, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. He's like, you don't know what's going to happen. Our culture and in our sinful hearts, oftentimes when we're faced with fear, here's what we do. We hoard. We hold on to things. Fear causes people to stockpile, to prepare for the disaster in an unhealthy way. The culture says to hoard and not share because you don't know what the future holds and the Bible paints a very different picture. The culture says get all you can, right? Get all you can, can all you get, and then sit on the can. Protect what you have. Don't let it go because this is where you're going to ultimately find your hope and your life. Certainly don't share what you have. And you see, all of this is an attempt to try to control our life. It's a picture of self-sufficiency, which ultimately ends in self-destruction. But the mark of faith here is not holding on to, but letting go of. One of the greatest displays of faith in life, and especially in the Christian life, is not hoarding, but giving. It is generosity. And this display here is of a hand that is, listen, not holding tightly to the things of the world, but is holding loosely to the things of the world because their heart is not holding on to the things of the world. Generosity has a way of loosening our grip on the world, of prying our, our hearts off of finding hope in the things that we can accumulate and the things that we can possess. I remember when I was young, um, some of you will remember this, there was a company that kind of blew up really quickly and they had all kinds of hats and shirts. The company was called No Fear. And uh, one of the slogans um, that they had, and you can get it on t-shirts, was that he who dies with the most stuff wins. But we all know that's not true, right? That's the way the culture lives. I mean, if you can accumulate and get and hold on to, when you die at the end of your life, you got more stuff than everybody else, you win in the end. But he who dies with the most stuff still dies. And he doesn't take it with him. You, you can't take it with you when you go. And in fact, we are still accountable. 
We never know what disasters may happen on earth, and so the call here is to live by faith, and to do that, we need to learn to be generous, to give away more than we think we can give away, to be more and more generous in light of the fact that you do not know what life holds. You see, the opposite is true from what our culture expounds. Risk being generous. And by the way, generosity is one of the distinguishing features of being a follower of Jesus Christ. It's one of the evidences that the gospel has taken root in your heart. Paul talks about this uh, to the Corinthian church when he talks to them about giving financially. He ties it back to the gospel and the generosity of God towards us. And he says, listen, if you understand that the gospel demonstrates that God has been so generous towards you, he has given you so very much, you are so rich in Jesus Christ, you've been given everything you need in Jesus Christ, then you can give freely of what Jesus Christ has so bountifully given to you. Generosity is the mark of a follower of Christ. It's a beautiful mark of, of the body of Christ here. We see this so often around here, the generosity of the saints. And the call here is for some of us, listen, to learn to live by faith, by giving more, by being more generous with the things that we have been given, being generous to the church. A look at the giving, by the way, on your bulletin. Do you see that? Give more. To be generous, listen, with the treasure that God has given to you. To be generous, listen, with uh, the giving to the poor and the giving to those who are hurting and needy. The Bible is filled with examples of this, with calls to this. But let me push you even farther, not just to be generous with your finances, but to be generous with your time and with your talents. The picture here of sowing seeds is a beautiful picture. In the morning, he says, sow your seed in the evening, withhold not your hand. For you do not know which will prosper. You just have no idea that the investments you make, the generosity of your, your time, your talents, and your treasure, you have no idea what God may do through those efforts of generosity. So, so, and so bountifully, so more than you can imagine or think is even possible. Life is unpredictable. Don't be caught living in fear. Instead, choose to live in faith. And I know what some of you are thinking, well, you know what, I'll, I'll think about generosity when I have more. You know, right now, things are a little bit tight, you know, uh, my, my job's not the greatest, or, or, you know, we've got a lot of other things we've got to take care of, a lot of other things that we're paying for, and, well, you know, on and on and on. But here, the, the answer to that is simply, is, do I wait till I, I, I'm in the best potential spot to be generous? The answer, biblically, listen, is no. No. No, be generous now. Don't wait. Things are never perfect. There's no perfect circumstance to give. Give now. Maybe, maybe some of the reason why you don't have an abundance to give is because you're holding on too tightly to what God has already given to you. And you're not casting your bread out upon the water, and you're not even letting God, listen, bring a return to you to demonstrate his faithfulness and kindness to you. You're not being generous with what you have, and so God is saying, listen, listen, what you're actually demonstrating is that you are living a life of fear. You believe your circumstances are greater than the God you say you serve. Verse 3 to 5 gives us this really helpful picture of somebody who is consumed with worrying about the, the unpredictability of life, and it really describes uh, many of us maybe even in this room. 3 through 5, look at this. as if the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or, the, or to the north in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind uh, will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not heap up. 
you see the picture here is of somebody who, who is constantly afraid. They're looking around. They're looking at the, the, the clouds. They're like, oh, no, it, it might rain. Maybe I shouldn't sow the seed. Maybe I should wait a little bit longer. Uh, I'm not sure what to do. You know, uh, it, it might not go the way I plan. Or, or the person there who, who looks at a tree that's fallen and, and begins to kind of worry about, that. Oh, I can't believe that tree fell. What made the tree fall? Uh, why did it fall to the north or to the south? I mean, what, what happened? How did this happen? You know, they're just so paranoid. And what happens? What if it fell in the woods and nobody was around to hear it? Did it actually make a noise? <laughs> and, and the preacher in Ecclesiastes is saying, like, who cares? Why are you worrying about all these things and not doing? Why are you so obsessed with what may happen or why something has happened the way it's happened? And listen, the reality is every one of us can fall into this trap with life. Every one of us has trees fall. We have dark rain clouds above our heads sometimes. Sometimes the storm is raging and we can be caught, listen, looking at the circumstance, looking at the tree, looking at the cloud and going, why is this happening like this? I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Maybe I'll just stop and stop living my life and maybe I'll just sit here and do nothing. And what, again, just, just hear this, what that's demonstrating is fear, not faith. And the preacher says, listen, live your life. Stop living with fear. Live your life. Stop wasting your life worrying so much. You are not adding one hour to your day. You cannot add one inch to your span, Jesus says. Like you are just wasting precious time and energy that could be used to live. Uh, verse 6 reminds us, listen, and, and we read it already. Let me just say it like this. It remi reminds us to make the most of every opportunity you have. Life always has risks, this is not talking about dangerous, listen, dangerously, being dangerously irresponsible with our lives, but this is a call to be, uh, have a life filled with risks, to take risks in your life, to walk by faith and not by sight. Like this is not, not being unwise, right? This is, this is not like taking a, a, a first-time driver and putting them you know, on rush hour traffic on the 401. That's not what we're talking about. This is just about realizing that every time we get in the car, there's a risk, isn't there? And if you're afraid to take a risk, you'd never get in the car and drive anywhere. And yet that's the way some of us are actually living our lives. It is never the perfect moment. All your ducks will never be in a row. So if you're waiting for that, you're going to be waiting a long time. And life will pass you by before you know it. Listen, those who have been in the right place at the right time usually didn't know it until after the facts Nobody in all of history who did anything risky and valuable with their life, listen, thought to themselves in the moment, you know what? I think uh, I am in the right place. This is the right time, and I am clearly the right person. This didn't happen. Because that removes faith from the equation. I, I think it's so many heroes of, of the faith, of the heroes of history, people who did great things. One of the greatest examples of this, listen, is Esther in the Bible, where her uncle Mordecai comes to her and says these words are, who knows? Listen, I love that. Who knows? Whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And you know what his point was? Who knows? Who knows what God's going to do? But we're never going to know unless we risk it all, unless we step out in faith, unless we believe that God is going to work. This 
This is a risk that's rooted in trust. Understanding that life is unpredictable, but also understanding that our God never changes. When our faith is in him, we can truly live. And so here, the call of the preacher as he closes this book is simply this. Get after it. Plant, water, sow the seed. Go and harvest. Reap the harvest. Go, go, go. Stop holding back. Stop dragging your heels. Start living your life. Listen, live your life in faith. Listen, not selfishly. This isn't about you going and doing everything you want to do, but for the sake of others and for the God who is in control of all things. Be bold in this life. Be bold. Be courageous. Listen, share Christ with people around you. Stop waiting for the perfect time. Stop waiting for the exact moment where they're going to walk up to you or knock on the door and say, hey, hey, I was just wondering, could you just tell me a little bit about Jesus Christ? Make disciples. Live by faith. Live by faith. Secondly, live with joy. Live with joy. Oh, how we need to hear this because so many of us, because of all of our worry and anxiety, are not living with any kind of joy. He says these words in verse 7 through 10. He says, A light is sweet and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body. For youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Twice here, the preacher calls us to rejoice. He calls us to live a life that is filled with joy, and he draws our attention, again, away from the worries of this world toward the wonders of this world. He says to us, listen, life is unpredictable, but life is also beautiful. And while there's much in this life that is hard and tragic and painful and difficult, there's so much in this life that is actually a beautiful and majestic There's so much in this life that can be enjoyed no matter what season of life you may find yourself in. Listen, we walk by a thousand little miracles every day without even realizing it. Simple things of life that can bring us joy but are stolen away because of worry and anxiety and simply because we do not have the eyes to see. And here in verse 7 especially, it's kind of redundant He says, light is sweet and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. He says in verse 9, walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. If if you just hear the way he's phrased that, it actually sounds a little bit redundant. You could simply say, "Just, just look or walk in sight. But he says, the sight of your eyes, look with your eyes, he says. I remember my my daughter when we I first had her when she was really young. I remember her, she would try to talk to us and she'd just talk a mile a minute and every once in a while, you know, you're listening but you're doing other things and she would get very frustrated and she would grab my face and say, no daddy, look at me with your eyes. You see, in, in one sense, that's what the preacher is doing to us. He's grabbing us by our face and he said, I want you to look with your eyes now. I want you to pay attention. I want you to see some things that you are so quick to dismiss or so quickly to fail to see at all. Just look around you. 
Stop freaking out about life. Stop freaking out about what you can't control. Stop being in such a panic all the time and see what you've actually already been given. See the beauty that's all around you. I mean, get up and listen to the birds chirp. Isn't that beautiful this time of the year? (laughs) I sit there early in the morning and the sun's coming up and I just love this. I love springtime. The birds are just chirping away. In a couple of months, it's going to drive me crazy. But right now, I love it. Praise God, listen, for the rays of sunlight that are bursting all around you. Watch the rainfall and marvel at its beauty. See the beauty of the snow falling this past week. Is that too soon? Like, like, enjoy life, it's what he says. Like, find joy, even in the little things, and appreciate them, right? Sip your coffee and enjoy, or tea, I guess. Sit back from all the chaos of the world and pop a bottle, you know, open of sparkling grape juice. (laughs) Recognize, listen, here's the point. Recognize that there are little things all around us that God has given us to find enjoyment in and try and strive, listen, to find enjoyment in every detail of life. Cherish every moment, he tells us. In verses 8 and 9, he says, So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is many. Look, look life, life comes to a close quickly. The days of darkness is just simply a description of the fact that every one of us is going to encounter the reality of death. So while you have life here and now, he says, live and enjoy. He says, rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Ah, youth. That is a beautiful thing to enjoy, isn't it? And yet it is so fleeting, that's part of why he uses this as an illustration. And if you're young, which by the way, I'm speaking now to 95% of you. If you're young, hear, hear the words of the preacher here to you and to me. Enjoy your youth while you can. Cherish every moment of the strength and vigor that comes. Listen, cherish every moment of life while you have it, while you have the energy and the strength. You never know when it's going to be gone. You won't realize how quickly it's fading. Right now, young people, listen, you don't have back problems, so enjoy it. Old people, your back problems... They shouldn't stop you from enjoying life either, so don't get the wrong picture. This is not saying, listen, if you're young, enjoy life, and if you're old, just be grumpy and mean. Don't become that that person, old people. Listen, and young people, you need to hear this. Listen, if you don't learn to enjoy life when you're young, what's going to happen is you're going to become grumpy when you're old. If you don't learn to appreciate the good gifts that God gives you when you're young, you certainly will not appreciate them when when you're old. Don't be jaded by the challenges and struggles of life. Look at the little details. Cherish all the moments. Yes, life is hard. Yes, there is a life that's filled with pain and tragedy and sorrow all around us, but our life can be filled with so much joy if we would just open our eyes to see and behold the wonderful gifts that God has given us. Every moment of our lives is a gift. Don't put your joy in your job. Don't put your joy in your retirement because in God's economy, the work doesn't stop and there is no retirement. Sorry to burst your bubble. And regardless of where you are in life, there's still so much to do. 
And the key to living well is to do it with joy, to see it all as a gift. That's how you do it with joy. You recognize it as a gift, not a burden. It is a blessing to you from the hand of God. Listen, your job that is hard and sometimes exhausting and tiring, it's a gift. Not just the money that you make, the job itself is a gift from God. So enjoy it. The home that you often have to maintain and fix and sometimes you're not satisfied with because you want more. Listen, it is a gift from God to shelter you. It is his provision for your life. Those kids that suck the life out of you, a gift. As hard as that is sometimes to believe, that spouse that doesn't meet all of your expectations and never could is a gift, a precious gift from the Lord that you should value and cherish every day of your life, every moment you have with them. We're so often, listen, we are so guilty, myself included, we're so guilty of complaining all the time, of being so self-obsessed, of being discontent that we miss the precious Listen, treasures and jewels of our lives. The breath that you just inhaled, it's a gift. What are you doing with it? Is that pulse and is that breath that's been given to you? Are you really living with it? Listen, 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 listen forgiveness and freedom that you have in Christ Jesus but you don't deserve. Just listen, listen. It's a gift. It's a gift. And, and rather than treating a gift as something trivial and meaningless, listen, the call is to see it for what it is, as precious and undeserved and a blessing that has been given to us to enjoy by a good and gracious Father. Amen? So rejoice. And, and, and the way in which we can do that as well is by doing this. Remove. Look at verse 10. See what you have and rejoice, but remove what's there that is causing vexation. Look, and remove vexation from your heart. Put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Right above that, he talks about, again, the young man, and he says to walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. This is a call to pursue the right things. To walk in the ways of your heart, some of you just got really uncomfortable. You're like, that's what the world says. The world says, follow your heart. That, that's not biblical. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says your heart is, is sick and wicked and evil. That's so true. Here, here, listen, the heart is not used as we often think of it in our contemporary culture as simply the emotions, as if we're just simply you know, going by the whims and wishes of our emotions. The heart was the, 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 the seed of life. It was the place where all of your thinking and processing took place in the Hebrew mind. And so really what he's calling you here to do is to contemplate seriously, to consider carefully, uh, thoughtfully, the direction of your life, the things you choose to pursue. That's what he's calling us to do here. This isn't a thoughtless pursuit of pleasure. This is a heightened, thoughtful pursuit of pleasure. And this is, by the way, one of the true keys, the true joy and happiness in our lives. This is what Psalm 1 tells us. How blessed is the man, right, who doesn't pursue sin, but instead his delight is on the law of 
the Lord, and upon it he meditates day and night, and his life will bear much fruit as he is planted by streams of water. You see, joy and happiness are not found in simply doing whatever we want. True enjoyment is found within the boundaries that God has given to us. And when your mind is shaped by God's mind, as the psalmist tells us in Psalm chapter 1, when you meditate on the law of God day and night, all of a sudden, your mind is shaped by God's mind, His desires become your desires, and His joy becomes your joy. Joy, biblically speaking, is connected, listen, to goodness and rightness and obedience, To disconnect those two things is to lead down a path of destruction and tragedy. And by the way, just in case you thought, like, this is a blank check, this is a carte blanche, just follow your heart, do whatever you want. He just kind of throws this in here. This isn't a footnote. This is part of the verse. Look at this. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment, right? If you think you can just kind of go do whatever you want, you better be really careful. Everything you do is under the microscope of God. Every thought, every deed, every action, everything God sees, and you will one day stand before him and give an account for what you did. What did you pursue for joy? You will not be judged on the basis of your standards, but on God's. Listen, there, there, there's, there's, you will stand before God one day, and here's one thing that you will not hear God say. Were you true to yourself? That's what the world says. That is not going to be in God's vocabulary. He doesn't care if you are true to yourself. He cares if you are true to him, the one who created you. We are called to him to live in freedom, the word of God says. Only, Paul says in Galatians, do not use your freedom for evil. And the thought of judgment here, by the way, isn't to, to put a damper on our joy. It's actually called, or put there, sorry, to lead us into greater joy. He wants to protect us from what actually steals our joy, robs us of joy, and he wants to usher us uh, into true and lasting joy. So here, the call is to remove, get rid of the things that cause vexation from your heart and put away pain. You want to know what a better way to say that is? Get rid of the sin in your life. Just get rid of it. Your biggest problem is not a physical illness. It is a spiritual illness. It's not a physical wound or malady. It is a spiritual wound or malady. That's why regardless of the circumstances you're in physically, you may be in pain in this world, in this life. Listen, if you have your sin being dealt with by God, if you are busy removing the cancer of sin from your life, you can actually experience joy here and now. Get rid of those things in your life that steal the joy. Instead, live by faith with joy, submitted to God. Live, in, live thirdly here on purpose. Live on purpose. In chapter 12, verses 1 through 8, he begins kind of the way he started with a little bit of poetry. He says, remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain, and the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few and those who look through the windows are dimmed and the doors on the street are shut when the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of song are brought low, they are afraid also of what is high and terrors are in the way. 
the almond trees blossom, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails because man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. Aren't you thankful the passage doesn't end there? The pictures here, listen, all of them are teaching us the same thing. He stacks up imagery here to to hammer into our hearts the same overarching reality that life, listen, is fading away. He points out here the brevity of life, and in light of that, you have to hear the call. He's not, again, saying this to cause us to be discouraged or to despair. He's calling us to live with purpose. And when we see our purpose, we can live on purpose. The key word here is found at the beginning of verse 1 where he says, remember. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth. That's a profound thought in and of itself. Remember that you are actually here not by your own design, but by the design of someone else. Know that you are here not by accident, but on purpose. Know that your designer knew what he was doing. When he created you, he knew what he was doing with you. He knew why he created you, and he wants you to know that same thing. And so to help us understand how we live on purpose, he gives all of this really, really what seems like discouraging imagery. It is for sure sobering to consider all of the things he says, all of this imagery of things that are breaking down, but once had strength and vigor is no longer the same as it used to be. It is broken. It is fading. I mean, life was what once present and vibrant and thriving, but now you are barely holding on and your eternal home awaits you. He's telling us this important truth so that we all realize that we all meet the same ends. Not one of us is going to escape this reality. Every single one of us will have to face this reality that life is fading. Remember not only that you have one who created you, but again, he drives home this thought that remember one day you will give an account to the one who created you. Listen, the goal in this life and in this exploration throughout this book of Ecclesiastes is that we, we've kind of been taken together is, is to discover that purpose for which we were created so that we can learn to live on purpose. There's supposed to be embedded in here some excitement because so many of us live our lives without real purpose or meaning. That's why the word vanity is just loaded in this book. It is stacked up because so much of what we try to find our purpose in, it ends up being empty and worthless and meaningless. It ends up being vanity of vanities, and that is a discouraging place to be. But when we find our purpose, there is a thrill and an excitement. I remember being a young kid, and, and my dad had tons of tools. He still does. And I remember, uh, I'm not very handy, but I remember even as a young kid looking at those tools and so often picking up tools and wondering what in the world these things were for. 
What does this do? What does this do? And I'm watching my, my son do the same thing. He's very mechanical, and so he's always asking, and I don't have many tools, so I'm like, go ask, go ask your papa. He'll tell you. What does this do? What does this do? But there is an excitement I'm watching in, in my son's eyes as I tell him, well, this tool is made for this. It can specifically do this. And he lights up with excitement because before he thought maybe it was to be used for something else that it wasn't meant to be used for. And when he figures it out, he can't wait to try it. He wants to go after it. And there is a joy and an excitement when you find out the purpose of a thing. Listen, how much more so when you find out the purpose for which you were created? So that you can start being used for the very reason you were created to be used. So you can start doing the very thing that your creator created you to do. That's where you find purpose in this life. And he talks again here about youth. Here's why I listen, because the goal is to figure this out as quickly as possible. It is to figure this out. It is to not let life pass you by and figure it out so late that it's too late. Because here's what he wants you to hear. Listen, this this is a a father who had a son. He wrote an entire book of Proverbs to his son, trying to help him live by wisdom and the fear of the Lord. Why? Why? It's so simple. Because while you are young, you have such an opportunity to use your life properly and well. How many of us, listen, I've never heard somebody say, man, uh, I wish I I would have met Jesus later in my life. I hear a lot of people saying, man, I wish I would have met Jesus earlier and spared me so much of a wasted life. Listen, if you're young here, if you're young here and you're wrestling with this, regardless of of where you're at in life, if you're wrestling with this, listen, you need to hear what the Spirit of God is wanting you to hear through the Word of God this morning. Find the purpose and meaning of your life as quickly as possible. Stop looking forward in all the wrong places. Start coming to the one who created you and knows why then you were created. For what purpose? So that you can stop wasting your life and start truly living your life. These metaphors, in one sense, tell us that this is true for each of us personally. All all of this breaking down imagery. It's telling us that that things are winding down, but these metaphors represent a, a winding down, listen, and a departure of goodness from the world. It's a reminder, listen, of, of what he's been trying to draw out throughout this entire journey through this book, that the world we live in is broken. These pictures, they, they represent a reversal of God's intent for the world. A a decreation, a breaking apart of creation, a breaking apart of the purposes for which something was created. All of creation, we are reminded, had a purpose and a goal to give glory to God, but sin and rebellion from mankind invaded it all, and now it's falling apart. It's broken down. It's a decreation before our very eyes, and the fact that every one of us is staring the grave in the face is evidence that things are not the way they're supposed to be. The world is both beautiful and at the same time it is so broken. And humanity's rebellion against God, we are reminded every time we look at the fading and the brokenness of this world, every time we see that we're reminded that our rebellion came at a cost. God has justly and rightly cursed the world for their rebellion against him. It is a just judgment of God. It is only grace that anything exists at this very moment. 
Everything is fading. Death is coming. Uh, we sat yesterday, uh, I had a chance with Pastor Brian and, and Paul on our staff here to go and meet with a precious family from our church. Uh, many of you know uh, Paul and Jean Sutherland. And um, maybe you're wondering why you haven't seen them here in some time. Well, Jean has been diagnosed with cancer and it has been moving through her body very rapidly. She has been going through treatment after treatment. They've been trying everything, but things are simply not working. And we sat with the family yesterday, and we talked to them, and we read some scriptures together, and we prayed together. And I know many of you know the Sutherlands. You saw them even last week here. They hadn't been here in a long time. She's been so weak and so frail. They've been so blessed, by the way, by, by the, the church family here. They wanted me to express very clearly to you. So many of you have been praying for them. So many of you have served them practically uh, through meals. They, they have been overwhelmed by the love from the body of Christ. In fact, Paul, he wrote these words out um, last night, and he, he sent them over our way. And he just, I just want to read them for you. He said, Dear friends at Redemption Church, Gene and I would like to publicly acknowledge all those who have supported us along this difficult journey. We have reached a significant signpost. The oncologists have used their best weapons without success and are left with clinical trials and one lesser drug try. All along the way, many have prayed and given us help that has sustained our spirits during some dark days. Please accept our heartfelt thanks. We are humbled to be on the receiving end of God's grace. And it was interesting as we sat there, Paul Paul said to, to us, he said, you know what, I think everybody should go down and have to sit just regularly, go sit in a hospital, go, go sit in a cancer ward just regularly to be reminded, listen, of how quickly life can pass you by, how quickly life can be stolen from you, how quickly life is fading. He said, it's a wake-up call that we have needed. And right now, I can tell you this, I can tell you this, as, as Jean potentially lives out the last days of her life and as her life begins to fade away and eternity awaits her, listen, right now, they are not thinking about the trivial things of life. They are not pursuing the things of this life that many of us are pursuing right now, believing that's where we're going to find joy. They have turned and looked and seen what's most valuable, their God and their family and the precious gifts that have been given to them here and now. And this is what the preacher is trying to wake us up to. Stop running after this world. It will not provide. It won't satisfy. It cannot give you what you long for. That is not what you were created for. And if that, listen, is where you have been finding purpose in your life or striving to, it will prove vanity in the end. Believe the preacher as he preaches to you. I love what Jim Carrey so aptly said. He said this, yes, the comedian, I wish everyone would get rich and famous and everything they ever dreamed of so that they would know it's not the answer. The preacher says, yes! Yes, 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 yes. If this life on earth is all there is, listen, here's the reality that you need to consider this morning. Then there is no point or purpose. Beauty without purpose is pointless in the end. It doesn't matter. The house will fade. The planet will die. Our, our memories will disappear. If that's all there is, it is all meaningless. But here's the question, is that all there is? No. No, there is a creator. There is one who has given purpose and meaning to all of life. And the call here is not to be living life under the sun, apart from God, 
It is a call to be truly living, and we only truly live when we lastly live for God. This is what he's been boiling it all down to. This is the the kind of silver lining throughout this entire book. He has been giving us glimmers of hope. He has been pointing this out subtly and sometimes not so subtly, but here he makes it abundantly clear. We were created to live for God, for his glory. Here, there's a bit of shift in the language and, and virtually every commentator believes that this is an, an editor wrote this. So, you know, Solomon likely writes this book, the preacher writes this book, and as the editor kind of puts it all together in a formal format, he adds in these last verses here, and, and obviously with the okay of the one who wrote the words, there's a shift to the third person being seen in this, this verse here. And it makes sense when you read it that, yeah, that would be weird if, if the person wrote this about themselves, right? Besides being wise and humble... The preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many Proverbs with great care. Cross-reference to the book of Proverbs. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. That's what he's been giving us. The words of the wise, he says, are like goads. They nudge us, they press into us, they move us forward. And like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They're trying to be hammered into our hearts so that they stick. And I want you to notice this very carefully here. They are given by one shepherd. In other words, what he says to us this morning, listen is this. The primary preacher of this book has not been Solomon. The primary preacher throughout this series has not been me. The primary preacher has been God. He is pressing into us the most important questions about our existence in life. He is calling us to examine and evaluate the things we are living for so that he can move us away from the fleeting vanity of this life and this world into what gives life and gives it to the fullest. And he says this, my son, beware of anything beyond these or making many books, of making many books, there is no end and much study is a weariness of the flesh. Listen, it's not that simple. You don't have to keep searching. You don't have to keep reading books. Listen, this is the answer right here. Listen, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Some of you are like, why didn't you just start with that and end with that? Because we had to go on a journey to figure out how we were not pursuing this. So that the shackles, listen, of what we are pursuing and enslaving us might be broken off so that we might be free to live properly for our God. For God will bring every deed into judgment and every secret thing, whether good or evil. God has been calling you. God has been calling me. God is calling you this morning to live, to live truly. God may be some, calling some of you for the first time to life, to actually be alive spiritually for the very first time. You see, our creator is the giver of life. He is the sustainer of life, and he is the ultimate purpose of life. And ultimately, to remember our creator, as he so aptly puts here in chapter 12, is to first know him and then live for him. 
to live for him now so that we can enjoy living with him for eternity. And there is no better time to discover this than when you are young. This is the time to follow Christ. This is the time to surrender your life. This is the time to live for God. Not to wait, not to delay, but now, when you hear his voice, now, today, 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 today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to re-surrender your life to Christ. Today is the day to recommit to following Jesus Christ, to living for him harder than you've ever lived before. There is no better time to discover this when you are young. But listen, even if you are old, it is never too late to live for God. It's not too late. Your life isn't a waste. The mistakes you made, the sin that has destroyed you or wreaked havoc, it's not too late. It doesn't matter. Listen, if you're 17 or 77, it doesn't matter. Today, if you hear his voice, today is a day where you can live for God. Today is a day where you can live with greater purpose than you've ever lived before, where you can enjoy life more than you've ever enjoyed it before, where you can live with faith stronger than you've ever had before. Getting to know and live for our creator before we grow old and die is the most important thing we can ever do. Do you fear God and keep his commandments? For this, he says, is the whole duty of man. It's, in other words, it's the entire point of why you live. It is to fear God and to know him and to love him. This is all wrapped into one, to realize that he is the creator, to realize that you are accountable to him. And when you realize that and you follow him as your king and you follow him, here's how you know you're following him. You obey his commandments. Jesus said this so clearly. How, how do we know that we love Jesus? We keep his commands. Every one of us will stand before God, our creator, one day, and in the end, we will all face judgment. It's fitting that he ends this way. Again, he is not trying to rob us of joy and meaning and purpose. He's trying to press us into it. One day, we're all going to face judgment. We're ultimately going to be judged by the creator. But here's the good news. Listen, the good news is this, that God came into this world first, not to bring our judgment, but to bear our judgment. If we want to truly live, we must fear God and obey his commandments. That's what it means to truly be human, to truly be alive, to truly live. It is to be in proper, right relationship with the God who created this. How do we do this? Listen, very simply, listen. If, if God is speaking to you this morning, and maybe for the first time, he is awakening you to the reality of where you're at with him, distance from him, but he's pulling you to himself, here's what you need to do first. Repent of your sin. Repent of your rebellion. Repent of your rejection of God, of the autonomy that you have sought to live in, of the joy and pleasure you've tried to seek apart from him, of the meaning and purpose you have tried to find without him. Just repent. And if you're a Christian, by the way, and that's how you've been living your life, and you're wondering, how can I continue to, to live, or how can I really live unhindered and freely for God? It all begins at the same place. Repent of your sin. Get low before God right here, right now. Don't leave this place without falling on your face before God in repentance. Then secondly, receive the gift of life by faith in Jesus Christ. We do not live in guilt and shame. We live in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ 
who took our guilt and shame and condemnation upon himself on the cross. He took all of our sin. He paid the price in full. Our death, he died. His life we receive. Be reconciled back to your creator the one who died and rose again as we will celebrate this upcoming weekend in such a special way to give you life because he has the power over death. Believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. The Son of God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, bow your knee in faith and surrender either for the first time or do it again like we're called to do daily. Know that your creator, listen, here's what's so sweet, know that your creator remembered you even when you had forgotten him. He came into this world, and as we remember today, listen, Palm Sunday, the king marched toward the cross for you. He would suffer and die on Good Friday for you. But he would be raised to life on Easter Sunday for you. And in death, he gave us life with faith in Christ, not only can we remember him, but we can be assured that he has remembered us. For all of us here this morning, listen, what is the point of life? It is simply this, to know Jesus Christ, to be made like him, to live as he calls us to live here and now so that we might have the joy of living with him for all of eternity. And until we understand that, nothing matters without him. We won't understand that everything matters with him. So live, 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 the preacher says. Live, your God says, by faith, with joy, on purpose, for God. Find life, listen, not under the sun, but under the Son of God. This is the end of the matter, and in the end, this is all that will matter. Father God in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that you are so kind to us, oh God. God, you could leave us in our sin. You could leave us pursuing the fleeting, uh, passing, fading, trivial things of this world. You could leave us, Lord, to die and to, to, to experience the judgment, the just judgment of your wrath. You could leave us to that, Lord. And that would be right. That would be deserved, O oh God, but instead you have remembered us. You have loved us, Lord, with a love that is incomprehensible, that is matchless in its magnitude and power. You have remembered us so much so that you have come for us. And God, by your grace, you have rescued us from death. You have removed us from the domain of darkness. And you have given us life and light. And you have transferred us to the kingdom of your beloved son. God, all of this is an act of grace. You have given us life. The only thing left for us to determine is, are we truly living? God, I pray. I pray for my heart, Lord. I pray for every person here 
that, Lord, this would be just another wake-up call, a grace-given wake-up call to our lives. Lord, this life is so fleeting. It is so short. Lord, for any who have not come to you, may this be the day that they fall on their face before you and embrace you as king. Lord, for any of us who are living in apathy and, Lord, who are just kind of dragging our feet in this life and waiting for the opportune time and, Lord, fleeting or, or fooling around, Lord, with the fleeting things of this world. God, would you just strip that away even now? God, give us an awakening, a gospel awakening this morning that calls us to truly live for you and for the glory of your great name. You are great and worthy to be praised. May our lips and our lives declare this, we pray, in the name of Jesus, our precious and beautiful Savior, we ask. Amen.